0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at just one verse this morning, verse 18, which is a verse about suffering, the sufferings of this present time that we all experience, and it's also a verse about glory, the future glory that we will experience as believers in Jesus Christ, and Paul makes a very simple point that we will take our time considering together this morning. And that is that the weight of suffering is not worth comparing with the weight of glory. The weight of glory so far outweighs the weight of suffering that it's not even worth comparing the two, Paul says. And I think if we really get a hold of that, If we really embrace that by faith, it'll change the way we think about our suffering. It'll change the way that we respond to our suffering. It'll change how we live our lives in this fallen world as the people of God. And so let's get ready to hear God's word read and preached. Kids, let me encourage you, let me remind you to listen very closely. Listen for the key words for kids in the bulletin there. I hope that will help you listen carefully to the whole sermon. And let's all try to learn all we can from God's word together this morning. Let me pray for us and ask for his help, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how timeless and how timely your word always is. We come to your word again together this morning, and so we ask again for your help. Help each one of us to listen carefully and to desire to grow in our knowledge of your word. But Lord, not just in our knowledge, but also in our application of your word to our lives. We don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And we know that happens by your word as your spirit helps us to receive it in faith So help us now, we pray. Help all of us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, reading verse 18. This is God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As you can see in your sermon notes, we're going to look first at the sufferings of this present time, and then we're going to consider the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I want us to note three things under our consideration of the sufferings of this present time. Three things. Number one, very simply, all Christians suffer. All Christians suffer. Perhaps an obvious point, but an important one nonetheless. Paul assumes and implies this when he says in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, to us believers. He's saying that the sufferings we all experience as Christians are not worth comparing with the glory we will all experience as Christians. He's talking about what we all experience. Part of what we all experience is suffering. All Christians suffer all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14.22. A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus said in John 5, or John 15, rather, verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. All Christians suffer. So if you're a Christian and you're suffering this morning in some way, you may be struggling. You may be wondering why it is that you're suffering. You may be wondering whether you have the strength to endure the suffering. But one thing you can be sure of, you are not alone in your suffering. You can look up and down your row You can look in front of you and behind you. You can look all around the sanctuary this morning and you will find brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering too. So you're not alone. And I don't mean to minimize the uniqueness and the particularity of your individual suffering, but I do mean to remind you that you are not alone in that suffering. We're all in this together. We're all experiencing the sufferings of this present time together. None of us are like one of those single, solitary trees you might see at the end of a field around here or between two fields, just a lonely tree standing out there all by itself. No, we're in a forest together as God's people. We are better in an orchard together. God is pruning all of us and growing all of us through the sufferings of this present time, so that together we can bear fruit for his glory and for the good of others. So we're not alone. We are in this together. And most importantly, God himself is with us. And he is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble, in the trouble of the sufferings of this present time. All Christians suffer. Number two, Suffering is part of life in this fallen world. Suffering is part of life in this fallen world that we live in. Paul refers to the sufferings of this present time. And this present time is an evil time. Ephesians 5.16, Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 6.13, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Galatians 1.4, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This present time is an evil time because this present world is a fallen world. And suffering is part of life in that fallen world. The sufferings of this present time are part of our experience as believers. Note that Paul acknowledges our suffering. He doesn't make light of it. He doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist. But neither does he allow our suffering to dominate the landscape of our lives or to eclipse our future glory. He recognizes, he validates the reality of our suffering. He acknowledges the sufferings of this present time and that suffering is indeed part of life In this fallen world. And I think remembering that simple truth can help us have realistic expectations for the Christian life so that we're not surprised by suffering when it comes, even when it's hard. Just like a soldier who's in a battle shouldn't be surprised if his experience on the battlefield isn't very much like a summer vacation at the beach, he shouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get much of a chance to read. And relax and soak up the sun. So we shouldn't be surprised by the sufferings of this present time. Because we're soldiers. Not vacationers. We're on a battlefield. Not a beach. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering is part of life in this fallen world. Number three, the sufferings of this present time that Paul mentions include body sufferings and soul sufferings. The sufferings of this present time include body sufferings and soul sufferings. Now, that's not stated in this passage, in this verse, but of course it's clear from the rest of the Bible. The fall of man into sin affects both our bodies and our souls. The sufferings of this present time, this post-fall time, include both body sufferings and soul sufferings. We all experience sufferings in our bodies. We know this. So, kids, every time you stub your toe or scrape your knee or bonk your head or get sick, you experience suffering in your body. It hurts. And there's pain in our world because there's sin in our world. Pain should remind us of sin, and sin should remind us of our Savior and our need for our Savior. In our own congregation, we have many body sufferings, strokes and paralysis, and cancer and MS, arthritis and dementia and nerve pain and long COVID. We have tooth troubles, we have eye troubles, we have knee troubles, we have heart troubles. Surgeries and injuries and sickness and aging. All of us have experienced or are experiencing or will experience sufferings in our bodies. But we also experience sufferings in our souls, don't we? Whether because of our own sin or because of the sin of others or just as part of life in this fallen world, we experience at times doubt and discouragement and despair, and depression. We experience fear, and stress, and anxiety, and worry. We experience lust, and greed, and all kinds of disordered desires. We experience hurt, and loss, and shame, and betrayal. We all experience sufferings in our souls, as well as sufferings in our bodies, Just like a whole glass of water is contaminated by a single drop of poison, so every part of us is contaminated by the fall of man into sin, and every part of us is troubled by the sufferings of this present time. Again, pain should remind us of sin, and sin should remind us of our Savior. So that's about the sufferings of this present time that Paul mentions. He implies that all Christians suffer and that suffering is part of life in this fallen world and the rest of scripture helps us understand that the sufferings of this present time include both body sufferings and soul sufferings. But thankfully, the sufferings of this present time are only half the story. Paul tells us the other half in the rest of the verse about the glory that is to be revealed So let's consider that now under our second main point, the glory that is to be revealed to us. And here I want to ask and answer three questions. And the first is this, what is the glory that is to be revealed to us? What is the glory that is to be revealed to us that Paul mentions here? Well, in part, it's what he goes on to describe after verse 18. If you look at verse 19 For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, which will happen at the second coming of Christ. So the glory that is to be revealed to us is our glorification. The glory that is to be revealed to us is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that we affirm. The glory that is to be revealed to us is the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. The glory that is to be revealed to us will be revealed to us when Christ is revealed to us. When Christ comes again, when Christ appears, when Christ descends from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 4. And what does it mean that the glory will be revealed to us? That's an interesting way to put it. What does that mean? Well, it means not just that it will be shown to us, but that it will be received and enjoyed by us. Like a birthday present. You don't know what it's going to be, but you know it's going to be revealed to you on your birthday. But that doesn't just mean shown to you, of course, it also means received and enjoyed by you. Glory will be revealed to us when Christ returns. Not just shown to us, but received and enjoyed. By us, As John Murray put it, it is to be bestowed upon us so that we become actual partakers. It is not a glory of which we are to be mere spectators. We're not just gonna watch it from the sidelines. We're gonna be down on the field, in the game. We're not gonna see it from afar. We're gonna be right in the midst of it. The glory will be revealed to us when Christ returns 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's the glory that will be revealed to us. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more suffering. Resurrected bodies. Reunion with loved ones who've died in the Lord. Perfect fellowship with all the saints on a new earth. Perfect fellowship with God himself forever. That is the glory that is to be revealed To us. Listen to Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. That's the answer to our first question. What is the glory that is to be revealed to us? The second question is... What does Paul say about the glory that is to be revealed to us compared to the sufferings of this present time? What does he say about the glory that is to be revealed to us compared to the sufferings of this present time? He says, again, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I consider, he says, but of course these are not just Paul's personal thoughts. This is not just his opinion. This is him speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is him speaking as an authoritative spokesman of the risen Lord. He's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what he considers to be the case is in fact the case. What he considers is what the Holy Spirit inspires. And what does he consider? Does he consider that the sufferings of this present time are too much for us to handle? Does he consider that the sufferings of this present time are far too overwhelming and discouraging? Does he consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth all the trouble of following Jesus Christ? Does he consider that the sufferings of this present time are slightly outweighed by the glory that is to be revealed to us? It's it's sort of 49% sufferings, but that's okay because it's 51% glory. No. No, he considers that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen to what Matthew Henry wrote about this. Paul says, I reckon, or I consider, I reckon as an arithmetician that is balancing an account. He first sums up what is dispersed for Christ in the sufferings of this present time and finds that they come to very little. He then sums up what is secured to us by Christ in the glory that shall be revealed And this he finds to be an infinite sum, transcending all conception, the disbursement abundantly made up, and the losses infinitely countervailed. So if you weigh all the sufferings, and then you weigh all the glory, there's no comparison. It's not even that the glory outweighs the suffering, though that's true and that's a fine thing to say. It's that they're not even worth comparing. The weight of suffering is nothing compared to the weight of glory. But you may be thinking, but suffering is very heavy in this life. So what do we do with that? Well, I think the heaviness of the suffering can help us get a sense of the weight of the glory. Because if this suffering is so heavy, and yet it's not even worth comparing with the glory, how weighty must the glory be? If the suffering is so bad, how good must the glory be? To be able to say that the suffering is not worth comparing with the glory. A birthday candle is not worth comparing with the blazing sun. A drop of dew is not worth comparing with the Pacific Ocean. A split second is not worth comparing with all eternity and our present sufferings are not worth comparing with our future glory. 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so our third and final question is this. How should we respond to these truths? How should we respond to these truths in our lives as Christians? Four ways, though I'm sure you could think of some more, perhaps share some more with each other in conversation after church or over lunch, but I'll mention four. How should we respond to these truths in our lives? Number one, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust God and obey God. Trust Him in the midst of your suffering and obey Him in the midst of your suffering. Trust Him for the grace and the strength you need to walk in the path of obedience. Don't let Satan sow seeds of distrust in your soul. Don't listen to the lie that your suffering is just too hard, so you might as well give up and give in to sin. Let the time of suffering be a time of seeking the Lord and serving His people. 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a wonderful verse to hang on to in the midst of suffering? 1 Peter four nineteen. therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We may not understand why we are suffering, but we know who has ordained it and what he calls us to do in the midst of it. He calls us to trust him and to obey him. He is good. He is wise in all things. Like Noah trusted God and built the ark. Like Abraham trusted God and went to offer up his son Isaac. We also are to trust and obey God even when we don't understand what he's doing. In light of the fact that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with our future glory, we can trust and obey God in the midst of our present sufferings. Number two, patiently endure. Patiently endure. Paul says later in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And those three things really go together, don't they? When we rejoice in hope, we are able to be patient in tribulation. When we rejoice in the glory that is to be revealed to us, we are able to be patient in the sufferings of this present time. And both of those things require us to be constant in prayer, leaning on the everlasting arms, Depending on the Almighty, praying for mercy and grace to help in time of need. So don't grow impatient and irritable in the midst of suffering. Be patient and kind. Don't give up in the midst of suffering. Persevere and endure. Even though the race may be grueling, don't stop running. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Though your present suffering may seek to drag you down, let your future glory lift you up and move you forward in hope and confidence. Patiently endure suffering. Be strengthened by God with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Colossians 1.11. When your tank is empty, fill it up through the means of grace, public and private, Your present sufferings are not worth comparing with your future glory. So patiently endure, patiently endure. Matthew Henry said, there is nothing like a believing view of the glory which shall be revealed to support and bear up the spirit under all the sufferings of this present time. Number three, encourage each other encourage each other. That's one of the ways we should respond to these truths. Listen to what Paul says at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so we will always be with the Lord. And what does Paul say after that? In light of all that? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We are to encourage one another with words of Scripture about the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are to encourage each other to trust and obey God. We are to encourage each other to patiently endure. We are to encourage each other not to lose heart, but to take heart. We are to encourage each other to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Let's encourage each other the way we would want to be encouraged by others. Golden rule encouragement. In light of the fact that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with our future glory, we should encourage each other. We should help each other in the midst of our sufferings. We should support each other. We should pray for each other. We should help each other along on the path to the celestial city. Fourth, and finally, how should we respond to these truths to the fact that our present suffering is not worth comparing with our future glory. How should we respond? We should live in the present in light of the future. We should seek to live in the present in light of the future. We shouldn't live in the present unaware of the future, unmindful of the future. That's what it's so easy to do, isn't it? Especially when we're going through suffering. Suffering takes up our whole field of view. Like a solar eclipse, when the moon blocks our view of the sun, our present suffering tends to block our view of our future glory. It's all we can see, it's all we can feel, it's all we can think about. And of course, we need to think about our present suffering. There are things about it that we need to pay attention to and take care of. But when it takes up our whole field of view, when it blocks out the sun of our future glory, then it becomes all-consuming. Then we live in the present, not in the light of the future, but in the darkness of our present sufferings. But then we encounter a verse like this in God's word, like the one we've been thinking about this morning, Romans 8, 18, when we read it or we, we hear it read, we hear it preached or maybe someone sends it to us in a text or pray it for us, then the eclipse begins to fade. The light begins to shine again. And the spirit of God enables us to see by faith that our future glory it far outweighs our present suffering. In fact, our present suffering isn't even worth comparing with our future glory. And then, by God's grace, then we can live in the present in light of the future. As the Puritan Samuel Rutherford put it so well, a quote Decker has mentioned before, when we shall come home and enter to the possession of our brother's fair kingdom, And when our heads shall find the weight of the eternal crown of glory, and when we shall look back to pains and sufferings, then shall we see life and sorrow to be less than one step or stride from a prison to glory, and that our little inch of time suffering is not worthy of our first night's welcome home to heaven. We'll see it then, is his point. We'll see it so clearly. We'll see it then that our past sufferings really weren't comparing, worth comparing with our present glory. We will see it then when we look back. But let's see it now by faith, by looking forward, by looking forward to the glory that is to be revealed to us by looking forward to our first night's welcome home to heaven. By God's grace, let's trust and obey. Let's patiently endure. Let's encourage each other. And let's live in the present in light of the future. Let's not let our present sufferings block our view of future glory. Let's let our future glory shine brightly down into our present sufferings. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the future glory that awaits all who trust in your son. Please cause the light of that future glory to shine brightly down into our present sufferings so that we might be able to trust and obey you and patiently endure our sufferings and encourage each other in the midst of our sufferings so that we might be able to live in the present in light of the future. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.